Welcome to Series 3 of York Hospital Ball. This week's guest is former York City goalkeeper Dean Kiley. Dean joined the club initially on loan in 1990 from Coventry City, but left a club legend after playing over 200 games with highlights including a crucial save in the penalty shootout of the 1993 playoff final, the clean sheet against Manchester United in 1995 and many more. Dean is regularly spoken about by supporters as being one of the club's best ever keepers and here he discusses his time at Booth and Crescent as well as his successful career after leaving York, which culminated in several years of Premier League football for Charlton, as well as being a Republic of Ireland international. These podcasts are a spin-off from York Hospital Radio. The station relies heavily on sponsorship. And if you enjoy these podcasts and feel you are able to donate, no matter how big or small, then please head to justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. Justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. So Dean, Keith Houchin's most famous amongst York City fans for scoring a winner against Arsenal in the FA Cup. But a lesser known fact is that he had a massive influence on you joining York City in the first place. Yeah, he did. Really, how, it, how I ended up coming to York was literally, I was a young pro at Coventry City. Uh, Steve Grizovic was the first team goalkeeper there and really limited my opportunities of playing, really. Steve Grizovic was the consummate professional, worked extremely hard, was a great fellow. I learned loads off him. But it was almost like a sort of cul-de-sac you know, I couldn't get by him as a young goalie to play in Coventry's team. So the next route was to go on loan somewhere. So I had a couple of options. I had Chester, Tranmere, a couple of more local Midlands ones and York City. And as I did, or as any young pro would do, I was sort of canvassing opinion. I've got a couple of opportunities to go and play on loan. And people like, you know, Steve Grizovic and Cyril Regis, people like all senior pros. And, and it was Keith Houchin who said to me, he said, out of all them, he said, I would go to York City. He said, for the simple fact is, really good football team, good place to live in terms of the whole package. He said, it's a, it would be a great place to be. I took his advice because that was the most glowing reference I had for any one of those clubs I, I could have went to. Went there and, and he was absolutely spot on. Yeah, but he was, he was right. I guess as a young lad, many other people in your position might have thought, well, I'll go for the one that's nearest the Midlands, I guess, where I'm based. So the, issue, the issue with that is you're, you're exactly right, and that still happens now. And me, from a coach's point of view, I see young players taking a, an, an easy way out. The easy, what's the easiest for me? Can I get home? You know, is it comfortable? Can I, and all those um, decisions are wrong. They're the wrong ones to take. So for me, when I look back now at uh, peers of mine at Coventry City who chose to go to... I don't know, Nuneaton or Warsaw or, you know, all these sort of clubs close by didn't maintain a career in the game and they, they fell out. And probably because maybe they took the easy route, maybe I would say, uh, me turning up at York was me in my car with a hold all with my boots, my gloves, my shin pads, a couple of tracksuits, pair of jeans and a, a sweatshirt. And that was me, you know, pitched me up. I stayed in the digs on Grosvenor Terrace with the apprentices, which was great because every day you just walked down to Bootham um, and that's where we got changed. And it sort of threw you straight into the squad. And, and, and it, it, was, it was great. I really enjoyed it. I got a good feel. I know it's easy to say on the back of being there for like sort of five and a half years, but I got a real good feeling for the place straight away, really. It was, it was good. Because I was looking back, but you, you know, you played for England at various levels as well growing up. So I didn't know if you had any reservations kind of dropping into the old fourth division 
uh, so, or was it just that kind of you needed to get first team football and that was a good route for you? The route I wanted to take was where can I go to play senior football? Because I, I left home at 14 to go to the FA National School, which was based at Lillyshaw. That was residential. So, you know, you live there and go to school there and you look after yourself, washing, cleaning, all those ironing, all them bits and bats. So you grow up. That was really good. And my apprenticeship at Coventry, I stayed in England in the 16s, 17s and 18s. And then between 18 and 20, I found myself in a bit of a wilderness, which was really reserve team football with Coventry, with no route into the first team really with Steve Grisvich, which was to his credit, but to my detriment really. So that was the in search of, in search of first team football. And in fairness, it didn't come straight away at York. I mean, I went there, Chris Maples was the goalkeeper and doing, doing really well, although the club wasn't doing fantastically well. And I had to bide my time, but I was happy to do so because I could see a route. I could see a route to playing first team football at York. So, so your debut for York City was against Hartlepool United, which was on the 26th of January 1991. A nil-nil draw, which probably to most fans is, is kind of forgettable. But for you, that's your first clean sheet, isn't it, in professional football? Your first yeah. one out of 246. How much do you remember about that game? Yeah, I remember, well, I've, I've seen a picture. I had long curly hair. I was wearing tracksuit bottoms because it was uh, a bit of a frozen pitch. But for me, it was, it was obviously a, a long time coming in terms of, when I say a long time, obviously a young professional, you're trying to make your way in. Uh, and that was, my, that was my opportunity. And, you know, if you look back at football, you're a football fan, is the fact that people come and go and can be fleeting. And, you know, I'm sure you and your friends and even myself will look and go, oh, do you ever remember such and such? You played 10 games or five games and, and whatever. I didn't want to be that. So that was, this was my first opportunity to play. Nil-nil, I remember Paul Baker, I think, was up front for Hartlepool. So for me, I wasn't flying around making saves. It wasn't a man-of-the-match type performance, but it was a solid performance. Everything, I came away from the game. Uh, obviously, my parents came to the game and, and wanted to be there. And like you say, the game probably passed and was in, insignificant, but it was a big deal for me. And I know driving back to the Midlands, which is where my mum and dad lived that night, driving down the M1 was a, was a nice feeling in terms of finally getting that senior debut and hopefully that be the the sort of stepping stone and the foundation for me to go on and, and, play, uh, and play more. So, yeah, it was an unspectacular game, but I was pleased. I tell you what I was pleased with was the physicality that probably people like Paul Baker pose you in terms of crosses and this, that and the other. And I stepped in and dealt with stuff and whatever. So, you know, that was, uh, that was pleasing. So moving it on to 92-93, that's obviously the season where the club kind of kicked on and, and moved forward. And the start of it really was, was when you kind of became established number one wasn't it ahead of Chris Marples after having a couple of seasons of kind of to and throwing. did you think before a ball was kicked that that season you know that a promotion was achievable after two years of, of being sort of fourth bottom of the, of the league yeah I think when I first came I think in and around when I made my debut I think I played 17 games and the following season 21 like I say sort of flip-flopping trying to establish myself and then I played you know and played the majority of the games in the, the, the following seasons but what I would say is that when I first turned up, and I don't mean this to the detriment, but it was probably an ageing, quite an ageing squad. And I think now as a coach, I look back at John Bird and Alan Little and John Ward and people like that. Their recruitment was quite cute in terms of they kept the good, or what they classed as the good senior professionals around. And they introduced, you know, sort of younger, obviously I remember Andy McMillan, Steve Tuttle, Wayne Hall, you know, Steve Bushell, Glenn Naylor, these type of, came in and with different ingredients in that squad so they had a nice blend and I don't think it's a coincidence it certainly isn't a coincidence people talk about oh there's just a squad just evolved it doesn't it has to be put together so credit goes to you know those managers during that time that you know they recognize that fact and, and, and sort of rectified it 
I mean, that, that season you kept 14 clean sheets in the regular season and conceded fewer than any other goalkeeper in the league. Strikers often have goal targets. Do, do keepers have the same sort of thing? Yeah, I think, I mean, from my point of view, my career now total is probably just, just over one in three clean sheets. So if you're keeping a clean sheet every three games you're playing, you, you're all right. You know, in a 46-game season, that's a, that's a, decent, a decent ratio. And it tends to get you up uh, around the the top reaches of the league, you know, sort of them, that, that return. So that's always probably been it. And yeah, you, you're probably right. I mean, you know, I kept one on my debut and then what turns in, one wants to become two, two become, wants to become 10. And then from 10, can you kick on and get as, as many as you can? So that's just probably the same as you're right, the analogy you make towards strikers. So, And, and that kind of strong defensive kind of unit, was that something you worked on in training as, as a kind of a group or, or was that a natural? No, I think... I think it was worked and I think it was drilled. I think um, obviously John Bird was there initially when I was there and then it moved on, sort of Alan Little, John Ward and people like that. John Ward was a very, very good coach, uh, came from a, like a, a higher level and was very, very good in terms of coaching, uh, drilling a team. Um, so it was worked on a lot. I think, you know, Steve Tootle, like I said, Andy McMillan, Wayne Hall, good footballers first and foremost, but good people as well, solid lads. We went out, we socialised together, we worked out on the training ground and then when it finally started to, um, to click in and we started to be successful on the pitch, I think it just grows, that momentum just, just grows. The more wins you get, the more confident you become, the higher up the league you go, the more you want to stay in there. So that certainly, you certainly did feel that momentum growing and like I say, the blend was probably right then of the team. And it worked, you know. So. Yeah, because you had like Paul Stancliffe as the elder statesman as well, didn't you? I think initially, you know, people admired his experience and, and, and what he brought in that respect. And it was obvious from the word go that Paul Stancliffe brought an experience. And it was an experience that he wanted to share, you know. I've played with loads of experienced players, but not all of them want to tell you their experiences or help you or they just want to come in, do their bit and go home. Uh, Paul Stancliffe was really good in the fact that he would impart knowledge. He was good with me in terms of my starting position. Probably then Paul Stancliffe's, as an older player, his legs was probably going, but he was very, knew where to be on the pitch, but would always say to me, you have to link, you have to be connected to us two centre-halves and the back four, and anything that we deem deeper than us is where you come and mop up. And, you know, you take things like out on board from when people like that tell you sort of thing. So that, that, was, that was important. But again, that blend. You know, you had youth, you had, you had experience, and, and those ingredients coming together um, obviously culminated in, in decent success at that level. And you mentioned John Ward there. I mean, how, how did you as players feel when, when he left sort of mid-season, well, sort of three quarters away through the season? Was that something that you thought this could really affect our promotion ambitions? Yeah, I think it, um, I think it did. It, it could have. I think there was that fear. Alan Little obviously had been there, so he was the continuity, he was the glue of the club really between John Bird and he remained and stayed around and, and, and John Ward was happy to work with him. They worked well together. But John Ward was impressive as a coach, as a football coach. So when he went, you might think there was a void, but it was filled by Alan Little and, and filled very, very well. And also, you know, a lot's made. I know I'm coaching now. I know my ingredient. I know my place in terms of what I add. But ultimately, I'm preparing a player to go on the pitch and perform. So it is ultimately the players and down them to perform in terms of at the end of the day. And we carried on, you know, doing so. So uh, that, that, was, that was to everyone's credit who was left behind, I think. 
So moving on to the playoff games then with, with Bury, two really close games and, and another two clean sheets. Did what's your memories of those games, and particularly that first leg where you know you made a lot of good saves and and did you think after that first leg that you know we, we can be confident here going into the second one, bringing them back to Boven Crescent? Yeah, I think obviously when you finish in the playoffs, it's a I've, I've been in there a few times and I've, I've been on both sides type thing. So there are question marks as in, you know, can, if you're the form team, can you maintain that form? Or, you know, you've got to find something. It's just a two-legged affair. Certainly after going to Gig Lane, like you say, I was throwing myself around really, really busy and, you know, managed to keep a clean sheet and take it back and, and get the job done type thing. But, yeah, I, I was pleased with my own personal performance in that game. But more importantly is that it had to culminate in something, you know. So the promotion was paramount for us. That gave us an opportunity, yeah. So then moving on to the Wembley final, I, I didn't know whether you'd actually played at Wembley before with England schoolboys at all, or was that your first time at the old yeah, Wembley? I'd been there, but been on the bench. So in okay. the game, I think the odd time we played again before the Charity Shield or whatever as the England schoolboys, but I never played, I was just on the bench, so that was my first appearance there. Um, the game itself, you, you had to make a couple of good saves from, from Tony Naylor, I remember, and then City go on the look through Gary Swan, and then obviously Crew get an equaliser late on through a penalty. I think York fans maybe thought, you know, that's a chance blown there and giving them, you know, a chance late on. What, what were you thinking about, you know, with it coming up to penalties? Are you as a keeper confident about that scenario coming up? It was probably a bit different at Wembley because, for example, the Berry game, you're flying around, you're connected to the game, you're making saves, they're, they're important saves. I remember the, the Wembley game coming and I wasn't over busy. I made a couple of saves, whatever, but I felt we were... We were the most dominant team. We probably had the best of it. Probably wasn't a great spectacle, but that goes out the window. As a player, you just want to get the job done. Going one nil up, and then the cruel way, I think it was a handball, was it, which was yeah. the penalty. The cruel way they come back into the game might have deflated us. But I certainly think, you know, going to extra time, we sort of galvanised again. We dug in and, you know, I've seen that situation come about for other teams or whatever and they capitulate a bit and, you know, one becomes two and that, like you say, your chance is gone. In terms of the penalties, you don't have the access to what we have now. I mean, we have penalty archives going back 20 years or whatever. Everyone's penalty whenever they've taken it and it's all collated for you and this, that, and that. Um, you have an idea. You, you do your homework. You might have faced them previously in the season or seen highlights of them. So you did have some reference points. But also, it's a it's a bit of a gut feeling as well, you know. So, what, what's your memory of that Gareth Wally penalty? Was it was that just gut that I'm going to go to my left there? And I think yeah, I think it was really. I definitely want to, as a goalkeeper, impose yourself on the situation. So, from what I can remember, I'm not jumping around. It's not sort of Bruce Grobler type antics at all. But you're not trying to be a, a sh- sort of shrinking violet, and you know, sort of you want to you want to impose and put your personality on on the goal and, and fill the goal really. But there after the event, a couple of three years afterwards, I met Gareth Wally socially a few times and I was in his company a few times. And I just said to him, I said, you just didn't look really, really confident, you know, and I just thought I had a, had a chance. And he said, he said exactly that. He said, you don't want to be, you know, not confident or you want to get the ball and be, you know, sort of confident with it. But I just feel, I just felt I had a chance. And listen, you, you talk about luck and this, that, you're there, but... You know, you try and work it out. It's a gut instinct, whatever it is. It went, it went our way and, and, and worked out really well. So. And what were the celebrations like after it? Can you remember any of us? It was great because I joined that club a couple of years earlier in a tough position, in a tough spot. They didn't have loads of money. They had just a regular budget, I'd imagine, probably below average budget. So the fact that we'd done that and got out of the division was credit to, to everybody in and around there. Celebrations were as you'd imagine. You come back, you 
you're with your, you're with your friends and family and, and, and this and, you know, sort of got a, you know, got a thing off the council and all that sort of thing and a bit of a, you know, not a civic reception type thing. But yeah, it was a, it was a big deal at the time and, uh, and, and rightly so. And then moving on to the next season, again, you know, for you personally, just 40 goals conceded, I think, again, was the, the, the lowest in the league, 20 clean sheets. And I was looking back at it last night, you know, it was a very small squad. I think there was only 17 players that were mainly used in that season. So were you quite a close-knit group as players back then? Yeah, I think, um, I think you had to be. I think now a lot's made of 25-man squads and this, that and the other. But I think if you just have run-of-the-mill routine sort of regular injuries in that 25-man squad, a lot of those are right on the, on the outskirts of it. And you have got a nucleus of probably 18, 18 players. But yeah, certainly then, there was no luxury of rotating teams, squads and this and the other. That wasn't the case. And we were, we were tight. I think we, we realised us getting to the, the next level, the, the higher league, meant that it put us all on a better platform. It gave us all a bit more exposure. I mean, it's a team sport. You totally commit, and I can only speak for myself, totally committed to York City and the cause. But individually, like you just said, though, those stats for me, playing in that league higher, keeping those clean sheets, doing them performances, probably get more exposure on television in terms of highlights and this, that and the other, and a bit more of a bigger deal made, works both ways. What it means is that people are looking at you, what you're doing as an individual, and it puts York City on a, a higher level, which is for everyone's benefit, really. And did you feel as, as, a, as a squad of players that you had momentum from the previous season? There was no kind of like, oh, we'll go up and we'll try consolidate. Was there a, a real feel, you know, certainly with, like yourself, a defensive record, but also kind of Paul Barnes and John McCarthy, what they brought to the side that, you know, you could really go up again? I think it, it's, easy, it's easy to sit here with hindsight. But what I would say is that that strong, sort of solid base which wasn't just, don't get me wrong, which wasn't just back four on goalkeeper. It was the whole team. We had a real good work ethic and we were difficult to break down defensively. Knowing that that helped us get promoted, keeping those ingredients at the next level really does give you a good base to work from. And like you said, in terms of John McCarthy, Paul Barnes, people like that who are a threat as well up the top end of the pitch, again, give us a good, a good chance. And I think what I would say is probably after the first eight or ten games, and I, listen, I can't for the life of me remember every single game this any other. But what I mean is, on the whole, probably after the first eight or ten games, you do get a feel as in this is probably not just about survival and hanging in there by the skin of your teeth and let's just see if we can stay in here. You did feel that momentum and, you know, you, you do see other teams sort of go through the leagues and use that momentum. And we certainly we certainly did that and we certainly felt that. Got you beat. Beat Cardiff five nil in the early doors as well, so that might have been what you're talking about there. You go into a ne- the, that next level up. If you're not getting slapped and you know you're not getting heavily beaten, it doesn't take you long to have a look around and think, well, hold on, we're on an equal foot and we deserve to be here and we can we can perform at this level and 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 we all did. And then moving on to the playoffs that season again, you know, very similar kind of the Stockport game with the Bury game a year before, you know, very close close encounters both of them how, how devastating was it to lose that second leg yeah. so late on so I, I truly truly feel I mean if you look at obviously York's position now and where in the mid 90s York were in the playoffs to get into the championship I mean it's it's incredible and to be part of that and to be part of a group of players that potentially could have done that to miss out on such a, a fine margin I think it was was it Chris Beaumont who scored the goal and yeah. it was, it was the one and that leaves you and that leaves you deflated. So the elation that you feel at the Wembley final was double it and, and add some again in terms of how, how bad everyone felt because it was a devastating blow because, like you say, we'd use that momentum really well and we'd bounced up through the, the, the league, you know. 
Yeah, well, I spoke to Nigel Pepper on a, on a previous podcast, and he was saying that he felt that if the club had maybe gone and got two or three more sort of stellar signings, or you know, just to improve the team, that, that he felt they could have made that jump to the championship. Are you, are you of that same opinion? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I mean, I don't know if you are going to ask me about it, but it does tie in probably with my exit a little bit in the fact that you know, don't get me wrong. So when we go, uh, when we win at Wembley and we go up to the next level. It's worth it's worth a, it's worth a few quid. You get a bonus, a status bonus, and this and the other, and this and the other. Is it life changing? It wasn't. I mean, if I tell you that I went and worked with my dad in the summer after that on the roads and that in around the Midlands, probably earned the same amount of money. It tells you, but it's not. That wasn't the reason for it, and that wasn't the the reason behind success. It certainly wasn't financial. But nobody, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't want York City then to go out and buy another goalkeeper or Nigel Pepper wanted a midfielder but certainly it felt like we'd done it on a budget we'd done it a bit on a shoe the club had done it on a bit of a shoestring and actually thought oh, hold on we've got a real good group of players we'll, we'll be alright with these which bore fruit because we did they did you know York City did do alright by that group of players but a little foresight and it is probably only one or two players maybe the addition of one or two players you spoke about it in terms of how small the squad was yeah I think one or two players without and I'm very aware that it's somebody's money you've got to spend somebody's money you know whether it be Douglas Craig or Sinclair or the people who were around at the time so I understand it's coming from somewhere but yeah I think a small injection or a little bit of foresight might have been the might have been the difference, and, and also you know? you've got to keep the players happy that have gotten there, haven't you? Because it, it was sort of a season or two after that where the team really just start to get broken up. But we'll come, we'll come back to that. What yeah. I did want to move on to was was the Man United game the following season. What were you thinking about the draw? Were you thinking this is my time to shine as a goalkeeper? I think when you pull that fixture out straight away, everybody for the right reasons, and even to this day, it's the same feelings. If you're a player from a low league team, you want to play a big side at their ground, and you think right. This, is, this gives me a rare sort of platform to go and play a, a real, against a real top team. And, I mean, that was the most bizarre night for me. I mean, if you can imagine, you know, you sort of, you're getting tickets for everybody. Everyone wants to come to the game and it's a big deal for yourself and the team and your teammates. And, and then you get there and I thought it was such good value for the win. We were, I thought we were fantastic on the night in terms of a team. And, I, well, I get... When people then pick out the Man United eleven and go, well, you know, they rested a few. But that was a good team. There's a, there was yeah, a, there's still seven internationals, I think, who played. And, and David Beckham wasn't one of them. It was a good team that we played. And I think, obviously, how do people wash over that who's not connected to York City? And it's a little, so they'll, make, they'll look at changes and this and that. But actually, it was a real quiet evening for me. Surreal, because... You know, certainly in a warm-up and, and, and head into the game, you're thinking, right, you've got to get your head on here because, you know, it could be embarrassing. So this platform that could give you the opportunity to play and show people what you're about could backfire and go the other way. You could be on the end of a bit of a shoe-in and, you know, it's, a, it's all a bit embarrassing. Um, so the way it panned out was fantastic. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you, you made quite a good save from Brian McClare, who, again, big name, when, when it was nil-nil, which was probably crucial at the time. But I, like you say, it was a relatively easy night, wasn't it? I was just not a spectator, certainly, but he was watching us, you know, play extremely well against the top, top side. So it was, it was fantastic. Then, obviously, you, you might be thinking then on, on the bus home, well, you know, I might not have had many shots in at me today, but maybe the next leg I'm, I'm going to get, you know, a fair few, amount, you know, a bit of exposure. But... 
obviously you had a cruel injury there in between, didn't you, against Hull City, which obviously yeah. was a missed opportunity. But I look back at the photos, it looked like you'd been handpicked by Mike Tyson, wasn't it? I mean, just talk yeah. us through that. Did you know at the time that this is me out of the Man United game? I, I used to. I've now had it bridged, but I used to have a false tooth. So I used to take my false tooth out every time I played. And for some reason, I don't know why, I kept it in against Hull. I, don't, I'm not, I couldn't tell you now to the day why I did. But I know I come for a cross. I helped it on, to, punched it out of the way, helped it on. And just as I got an impact on the ball and turned around to face where it had come from, I think it was Rob Dewhurst, the centre-half, just came. And the picture looks like his head is on my shoulders, the impact. So, obviously, as you can see now, my nose went that way and I fractured my eye socket. That went in, that went out and fractured my skull a little bit in terms of my forehead. My mum and dad used to come to all my games. My mum and dad came down because obviously it's such a serious injury. You get stretched off and whatever. And yeah, I mean, then I think someone from the press came around on a Monday. I had my gloves on and my head on my hands. And like you say, my face was absolutely battered. So yeah, listen, you know know you're done there. But I think I was probably out for, I think it was about seven weeks, I think. Six or seven weeks. But to miss the return leg was obviously, was was a bit of a hammer blow really. Because you think... You've sort of shaken that nest, really. You've, you've upset Man United. They're going to come and they're going to, you know, at Boom and Crescent, they're going to be a force. But, you know, listen, credit to, to Andy Warrington and whatever. I'm really, really pleased for Andy. I speak to him now and again. Um, you know, he's doing a bit of coaching and whatever. And, he's, you know, it was, a, it was a good opportunity for a young goalkeeper and he did, uh, he did great. You've always been quite a, a confident character, I would say, certainly watching you from the sidelines. Did that knock you at all, that confidence, with, with what happened against Hull? Because obviously, next time you come for a cross, I know, I know it's not quite like Petr Cech with his injury, but I guess there's something in your subconsciousness of... No, I'm not, I'm not trying to play it up or anything, but I see the Petr Cech thing, and I think it could have been something that was afforded to me to do that, where that... I was really, really... I was probably the opposite in terms of that. I was thinking, my mindset and my mentality, I think I've always been strong. I think that's one of the things that took me to an elite level to play is, is your mentality. I think everyone's, if you're playing football, you've, you've got ability and talent and whatever, was to don't show any frailty, don't show any, you know, sort of hesitation. You get back in your t- the team, the manager picture, it's just business as usual, just, let's just crack on. Didn't want to make a big fuss about anything really in that respect. Yeah, listen, I remember I was actually in hospital across the road at Bootham and I sort of, and it's not, I don't want to make it like a Disney film or anything, I didn't, it wasn't anything like that, but they sort of said to the nurse, whatever, oh, can I go and watch the game? And they said, and I still had, had double vision for about two weeks. So I went over, I had my tracksuit with me, went over and watched the game and sort of to the side of the dugout. Because I wanted a bit, you know, like you said earlier, really alluded to, it was a tight-knit unit. It was a strong, strong bond between everybody there. So uh, you wanted to be part of it. I certainly didn't want to be sat in the hospital. Yeah, just had a wonder and, and watch the game and delighted that managed to get through. So the end of that season, you played your last game against Brighton in that weird sort of rearranged game on a random Thursday morning because of crowd trouble in the first one. I'm presuming Alan Little obviously was desperate to keep you. Was it that, like we talked about earlier, that maybe the club's board didn't show enough for you, for you to want to stay? Or, or was it kind of in your mind that you'd been there quite a long time there at that point and you wanted to kind of move on? I'll be honest, Dan, is that my wife now was born in Tadcaster, raised in the area. I know I've got lots of friends up there and this and the other. And a little bit like the start of the interview, if York City would have been in the championship or would have been, you know, in and around those places, I would never have left York City. York City was a fantastic place for me to play my football. It gave me my grounding. It gave me my debut. It gave me my foundation to go and play at the highest level. So I was very, very grateful. The one, the one thing that I would say, and it was portrayed poorly, and I see why it was. Obviously, the chairman, Douglas Craig at the time, is always going to say, but 
I can, I can tell you no problem at all. I was earning X. A couple of other players were earning Y. And it was, it was in the same ballpark. It wasn't extortionate. And I just said to Alan Little, I've made, I think I made a good contribution to where we are and what we've been doing. And he said, yeah, absolutely. He was totally on my side. No problem at all. No agents or anything like that. I'd go and see the chairman and I'd say, listen, the gaffer's happy with me. I'm happy with being here. I like it. The lads are good. It's a good club. And Douglas Craig in a harsh Scottish accent just went, listen, Dean, it's all about supply and demand. If you don't sign this contract and just plonked it in front of me, so no negotiations. If you don't sign this contract, it's about supply and demand. And let me tell you, York City's goalkeeper is not that much in demand. So he's basically saying, you know, you can play here, no problem, on this money, which wasn't what I was exactly what I was looking for. But I didn't, I wasn't holding the club to ransom. I certainly wasn't looking for anything out of the ordinary because, like I say, I was with a local girl. I had I'd sort of put roots down in the area, happy, happy to be there. But coming out of that meeting, I then said to Alan Little, I said, don't get a good feeling off the chairman. I think he's just taking really me and everything a little bit for granted. So I might look elsewhere type thing. And that, and that was it really. So it wasn't a long drawn out protracted thing. It was just basically the chairman's attitude, not just towards me. I just think towards anything. It's like, take it or leave it. That's when we should be really, really grateful. I think us as a squad of players, as a group of players, had probably shown our worth to be a bit more than that in terms of, you know, where, where we were in the ladder of English football, where we used to be and where we were currently. We'd, we'd progressed. So I think the club may be alluding probably to Nigel Pepper's argument was that should maybe be looked after a little bit better. So. I vaguely remember you getting a little bit of stick the following season when you came back with Bury. Did that disappoint yeah, you? Yeah, loads. No, because it's football. I get it. You know, for five and a half years, you're embraced by the fans and then you come back six months later and, and you're, you're not. That's absolute, absolutely fine. I think it was portrayed poorly by Douglas Craig, if I'm being honest. Nobody else at the football club, but I think he had to save face, really. I think his strategy had backfired and didn't work with me. And like you said, really, once I'd gone, uh, then it sort of, not, I don't, it didn't, certainly didn't fall apart. I'm not saying it that at all. And I'm not saying me, what I'm saying is just the general, that sort of nucleus and that togetherness just maybe drifted a little. And, and, and that's where it, the cycle probably came to its, uh, came to its end. I was certainly grateful for the, the five and a half years I'd spent. And I didn't go away too much animosity because, one, I was really grateful to the managers and obviously Alan Little people that. I thought the players were fantastic. I had a great time in and around that squad. So no animosity from my part. Just I was just a little bit disappointed with, with probably the, the chairman's stance on everything, really. So, so moving on to Bury, you played under Stan Turner. Who are, he's quite a sort of character, I think, from what I, I remember. What, what do you remember playing under him? Yeah, I mean, listen, obviously it was back in the day when it was all tribunals and unconditional fees or conditional fees or them sort of things. So you were on a week-to-week contract at York because you hadn't sorted anything out, or I was, sorry, and got a call on a Tuesday. Have you got a day off on a Wednesday? I said, yeah. He said, do you want to come over to Bury and have a talk? I said, yeah, no problem. Uh, I'd been down to Plymouth. I was going to go and sign for Plymouth. The Plymouth chairman said, we can't unconditionally do it. We can conditionally take you to tribunal as long as it doesn't go above 250 grand. And I said, well, I don't know how the mechanics work. If you want me to be a goalie, this and the other. So I went down to Plymouth, trained a couple of times there. I was going to sign there, but it didn't happen. And then Stan Turner rang me up and said, do you want to have a wander over? I had a wander over on a Wednesday morning across the M62 and pretty much signed that afternoon then, really. So it was really, really quick. The talk was, and it probably felt a bit like York City previously. They'd obviously came up as well. And, you know, he was happy with his squad, said he wanted to add a goalkeeper. Stan Turnan and I went and yeah it was an experience he's, he's a real forthright 
abrasive, but if you play well for him, he's he's fantastic. I, again, I really enjoyed my time with Stan. You know, a bit weird. He, first day of pre-season, he stood there in a pair of Reebok classic trainers, brilliant white trainers, and just a white slip. You know, the under like your yeah, underpants uh, and a gold chain, and a, a stop watching a whistle because uh, it was a sunny day, and he wanted to get a bit of sun while we just ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. But again, good group of players, good blend, young players good players at that level, some experienced players in, and the same formula, really, the same formula. And the difference is Berry managed to get promoted out of that division where you're just failed at that final, that final sort of hurdle previously. So, uh, again, it gave me as an individual a platform to go up and, uh, and play. Because I was reading some of the kind of news articles from when you played for Berry, and, and obviously you kind of heralded bad of supporters because of a penalty save you did against Watford so again coming back to penalty saves that was yeah. against Tommy, Tommy Mooney and I think you needed a point to get promotion and that, that yeah. kind of got you that, the point yeah that was, a sec- that was the second last game of the season I believe and yeah we needed a point to guarantee us being promoted in the top two so yeah similar again dive to my left and wasn't a great penalty but if you don't go the right way you ain't going to save it so yeah and that was uh, again culminated in a long hard season and that squad of players got their rewards and were able to again go up. I'm really, really proud that I was able to get promoted out of every division. Really, I think people that come in at the top, we were afforded that luxury, don't know the feeling down the bottom. I think ones who play down the bottom and find it difficult to progress I only know that for myself. I've been exposed to all levels and and, and managed to to get out of those levels and progress up that ladder. Really, so uh, that was what Barry afforded me that sort of next step up. Really. So moving on to Charlton in, in 1999 when you signed for them, a million pounds. Did, did you feel any pressure from the fee with it being a million pounds? I don't know, really. I don't think I did. I think, obviously, it suited, it suited Berry in terms of, you know, they'd just been relegated from the championships. They had to cut the cloth accordingly. I think myself, Paul Butler, David Johnson, Chris Lachetti, you know, sort of people like that who I suppose had a, had a worth and a value along with some other players also. But what I mean is that they probably had to sell a few on, of which I was one. So that price tag was good for Berry. worked out that was good for Charlton. And I think it's always, you know, in terms of any transfer or anything like that, the, the best one is if the club you're leaving are happy with the terms in terms of the fee they get, if the player's happy with the club he's going to and the club you're going to are happy with what they're paying, everyone's a winner. And in, in that case, I think everyone can look around and go, they had sort of value for money, really. So, so again, kind of that first season that you're there, you won promotion like, like you did with Bury. Charlton seemed to keep quite a lot of the nucleus of the squad that come down from the Premier League. So did you have quite a, a confident feel maybe uh, about when you were in pre-season that, you know, we, the yeah. squad's quite, quite strong here and we could go up as champions? The previous, obviously before me, they had that playoff game against Sunderland um, at Wembley. They get up, you know, it was an incredible game uh, that I watched from afar as a Bury player. And then they had the season in the Premier League and they came back down again. And I think Alan Kirbisley, very shrewd, very astute manager, looked at his squad, was happy with his squad that probably were just a little short in the Premier League, but he knew they were very, very strong in the Championship. And again, a little, a little bit like the Stan Turner thing, really. He said, and no, to no detriment of, of, of other goalkeepers, but their remit to me was, we need a goalkeeper that can keep clean sheets in this, in this division, is proven and can play at this level. And they picked me. So I was fortunate that in a relegation season with Berry, the one that had just been, I think I kept 18 or 19 clean sheets for Berry in a relegation. I think we had seven, a run of seven or eight games where we got beat 1 0 and we had seven 0 nils. You know, so we were a strong defensive unit, a little bit like York, which obviously the goalkeeper's going to shine because he's flying around making saves and contributing to clean sheets. So I think that's what got me the, the, uh, the gig at uh, Charlton. 
and with a couple of additions and a strong squad, Charlton went up, you know, and went up well. And then from that, we speak about the York City momentum. Charlton's momentum then was they stayed up, and I think I think in a five six year period we finished ninth, twelfth, fourteenth, seventh. You know, never in a relegation battle, never in a six pointers in that middle middle part of the Premier League, which is which is huge for a team like Charlton. I think it was a fantastic achievement. I think people forget that. I mean, I, I'd certainly looking at it. I couldn't believe when I looked around that your first season there in the Premier League was ninth, and yeah. the squad was pretty similar to the one that had gone up. I mean, that's a hell of an achievement. And you were obviously, I think, at this point, you were about twenty nine years old. So, what was the step up like for you? Because obviously, like you said, you've come up all the way through the divisions. You've you've got promoted from each of them. What was it like, sort of facing strikers at that level? Yeah. So for me, the progression had been gradual. You know, everybody would want to get to the top division in the shortest time possible. But what I would say is the goalkeepers that I see now and previously, whatever, that have landed in the Premier League through circumstance or anything and, you know, been afforded an opportunity and they're not ready, what happens is there's no longevity. So they'll play while the other keeper's injured, but then they'll just fall away because they, they're there. But for me, York City, can I play in the bottom division? Yeah. And then can we get out of this division? Yeah. You know, can we get into the out of league, one into the championship, nearly. We nearly, nearly did, which was incredible. Barry say, come on this journey with us. Can you get into the championship? Yeah. And all the time making a positive contribution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're ticking all those boxes. And then when you get, when I got into the Premier League with Charlton, I'd had a really good year. I think I kept, again, 18, 19 clean sheets in getting promoted to the Premier League. Came home, my wife, I met her, she used to cut my hair in York. She's a barber. I said, get the clippers out, give me a number one, cut my hair off, Premier League, it's all about, I need to stay at this division. And I was 29, approaching 30, and I said, for a decade, now 30 to 40, I want to play as high as possible for as long as possible and play in someone's team. And that was, that was the plan, really. So that was, that was good. Once, once you're there, Dan, once you achieve that, it's no good just achieving that goal and playing six games for Charlton in the Premier League. Because that don't mean anything. That's just a dot. That's a speck. I wanted a, I wanted a bit of longevity and stay there. And, and, and we did. I was there for, I think it was about six and a half years, really, at, at Charlton. Do you think you appreciated it more then because you were approaching your 30s and say you would have done if you'd have maybe stayed at Coventry and, and got your, your breakthrough that? I think if I'd have played it, stayed at Coventry and maybe played in the League Cup when I was 21 or whatever and came and gone and it didn't go well and that was your only chance and no one ever sees you again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's that sliding door thing. Like, I'm, I'm happy with the choices I made. I'm happy with the club. York City being the, the start of that senior career for me. Happy, definitely happy with the choice I made. Happy with the contribution I made also. Didn't just want to be a passenger in those, um, in those journeys. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, worked out, it worked out really, really well. But when I got there, I knew I was ready to stay there. That made sense. And fortunately, was, I was able to. And so within this time as well, you, you start playing for Republic of Ireland with 11 caps. Without sounding disrespectful to the current Ireland team, do you think if you'd have played in this era, you would have kind of got maybe 50 caps? Yeah, I think, listen, uh, the 11 I got was a huge honour, a great achievement. You know, myself and my family, immensely proud of them. But yes, certainly, I think, I mean, listen, Shay Given went on to play over 100 times for his country. I room with him, good friends with Shay. But we were both Premier League goalkeepers playing, playing well in the Premier League. So could I have been afforded a few more caps? Um, yeah, the, the, no doubt about that. Am I resentful to Mick McCarthy, who was manager at the time? Absolutely, 100% not. I enjoyed turning up for Ireland. I enjoyed the World Cup experience in 2002. But yeah, could 11 caps been 25? E- easily, yeah, absolutely easily. 
but I bear no grudge or malice against anything. I, I, I enjoyed, and it was part, another ingredient, and part of my career that, that, was, that was good. Yeah, I mean, an experience as well where you went to the World Cup in 2002, and I think I read somewhere that when Roy Keane sort of stormed out of the Ireland squad that you offered to play central midfield, is that correct? Yeah, it is, yeah, and it's been reported, it's been misreported, it wasn't meant to be clever, it wasn't meant to be a snidey comment, it was at that time, I mean, let's get it right, Everybody in the squad knew Roy didn't really like Mick McCarthy. I don't think Mick had much time for Roy. They suffered each other. We got to the World Cup and I think everybody was thinking, listen, just bury the hatchet for five or six weeks. Let's see how far we can go and then have that fallout afterwards. Unfortunately, the fallout came before. And what I would say, when Roy delivered that sort of hammer blow in that room, it felt like, I think Niall Quinn describes it the best in... Um, in some, I don't know, some, a couple of books or whatever, is the fact that the atmosphere just needed cutting. The tension was incredible. And I just said it, listen, I'm a squad, a squad player, the backup goalie for Shea Given. But it just felt right to say it. It broke the tension. There was a lot of nervous laughter. You know, after that, Mick just said, well, listen, it is what it is. We're just going to crack on and get on with it. So I wasn't trying to do it to be disrespectful to anybody, certainly not Roy Keane, but it just felt right to do it because, you know, a group of elite footballers were in a room thinking what's just happened you know it was crazy it was crazy and my, my opinion is still the same as when it first happened is the fact that you don't have to like or get on with everybody you're in the squad with but we did have a job to do and I think it was it was a shame that everybody that were in, was in that squad and got through and played against Spain and and got knocked out in penalties and went decent got out of the group and and whatever it's a shame that the one thing that is remembered for is Roy Keane's exit as opposed to a good Ireland squad doing well in a World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Just to kind of move it back to sort of your, your kind of club career, talking about longevity, I think you've, you've kind of touched upon this earlier, but you kind of went on to play for Portsmouth as well and, and West Brom. And, you know, you stayed at quite a high level over your 20-year career. You've played 750 games. What, what do you put that longevity down to? I mean, you kind of touched upon this earlier with the mentality. I think when you start playing, you want to be all singing, all dancing. You want to be flying around making saves. You want to be doing eye-catching things and this, that, and the other. And it was very early on in my career, that sort of mantra of, I want to be consistent, reliable, dependable. Now, that's not consistently average or consistently all right or okay. I wanted to be very good and be the best and play to the best level I could. And that was, that was basically me, really, is the fact that if someone wants me, and now I'm coaching, I see the flip side of it is, the, the deliberations we have about selecting teams and the, the whys and the wherefores, why somebody should play ahead of somebody else, to get selected in somebody's team 759 times was, for me, I'd take so much pride out of that. But why do we select the people and the players we do? Because we know what they give us, because we know what we're going to get, an effort, a work rate, a desire, an attitude, talent, ability comes into it. But it's all those things that, that glue it together and, and, and make it a positive contribution to that team is what I tried to be throughout my career. So, so moving on to coaching then, you've coached at a few clubs, haven't you? Preston, Norwich, Crystal Palace. Yeah. Were you involved at all with the move that Ben Godfrey went from York to, to Norwich? Yeah, 100%. I mean, the way that works, I mean, it makes me laugh really. I see these agents and they all wear shiny suits and the time they turn up is... They bring a pen with them and then they get all this commission, this, that and the other. And it's a little bit obscene, if I'm being honest. The Ben Godfrey move to Norwich was, I was first team goalkeeping coach at Norwich. Alex Neal was the manager. 
and we signed James Madison from Coventry, who was one for the future and this, that, and the other. And Jonathan Greening was with Richard Creswell at York City. I was at uh, West Brom with Jono as well. So we met many years ago at York when he was a young kid. And then we played together and reconnected at West Brom. And I know Jono really well. Both our families, whenever I'm up in York, we meet up and we'll go out for a beer and this, that, and the other. Uh, and he rang me and he said, listen, Dean, he said, we've got this kid for playing at, at York. And he said, I'm telling you, this is quite a bit of interest. A lot of teams looking at him. He's not just a youth player. He's got a senior attitude. He's built like a man and his attitude's fantastic and he's, he's got good ability. So I run it by Alex Neal. I said, listen, I trust Jono implicitly. If his eyes are telling me this kid's going to be good. And in fairness to Alex Neal, you, you know, these managers get dozens and dozens of players thrown on their desk and thrown at them. And he went with it, you know, and he said, yeah, we'll do that. And I think he was signed for a nominal fee. I see him. I still live in Norwich. I see him, Ben, coming out the training ground the other day. I speak to Ben regularly. He's a top, top fella. And he is at this moment, but he will be a top, top player for many, many years to come. One, because of his ability, but two, because of him as a, as a lad as well. He's a top, top fella. His future is really, really bright, but he's doing it right now as well. Obviously, Norwich find themselves in a, in a tough spot, but he's been one of the highlights of, uh, of their season. I mean, perhaps if Alex Neal had got like an agent saying about Ben Godfrey, he might not have gone for it, but, but that kind of level of trust that you've got with Jono, like you say, yeah, probably I, helped. I hope so, because managers and coaches, we're all doing the same thing every single day. So the links you make between you know, people who you're friendly with and coaches who you respect because they're doing the same job as you, you have that network where you speak and this, that, and the other, and so have you seen the lad this and this, that, and the other. And yeah, there is that talk. And then, like I say, it makes me laugh a little bit is the fact that the agent comes storming through as if he's set the whole thing up and don't worry, I'm here. The outside perception, but it's not reality. That move, that move was a top player and a top coach, Jonathan Greening, talking to myself because we'd had a connection and just trying to give a, a good ladder, a step up and a, a help along the way. So, and, and he's took that, he's took that opportunity and he's done fantastically because Ben will go on and play for, uh, for other clubs and better clubs in Norwich. And just to kind of, um, you know, reflect on your career as a whole, who, who's the best player you'd say you've played with and against? Oh, so I think Roy Keane has got to be probably up there with best uh, against and with in that respect. I mean, you know, you wouldn't get much of a conversation out of him or a social interaction, but, in terms of players, an incredible player. Robbie Keane, I played against uh, against Thierry Henry. My son now tells me, if ever I want to see you on the telly, Dad, I'll just go and watch Thierry Henry's greatest goals because he scored about 14 past me in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, you alluded to it earlier, is that you, know, you break into the Premier League and then all of a sudden, Rooney, Beckham, Ronaldo, Hasselbank, you know, Giggs, Van Nistelrooy, you know, Henry, there's, you're playing against the elite, which is, which is fantastic. And I, I guess they're kind of unpredictable as well, because I, I mean, one of the Henri ones will have been the, the back heel, weren't it? Which obviously no, yeah. no one saw coming when it, when it was yeah. there on the pitch. Center half didn't, so uh, yeah, <laughs> went, went through his legs, John Fortune. But uh, no, that's the thing. And the thing is, the levels and all that, and like I say, you've been through them all, is the fact that getting into League One with, uh, with York, same again. There is a step up in levels. And it is, then the question is, can you handle it? Can you play? Can you, can you catch the eye at that level? And fortunately for me, I was able to. Who would you say was the best manager that you played for? It's difficult. I think my golden era probably was at Charlton because it was at the highest level. And it was a, probably their golden era as well in, modern, in the modern age as well. So it just coincided well. 
what I would say is, at the time, I thought Alan Kirbishley probably wasn't the greatest man manager. Sometimes he would, wouldn't say much to you or you wouldn't get much out of him and you walk away out the corridor and think, oh, if I'd done something to upset him. But just his way, he just wanted to coach, just wanted to get out and affect players on the training ground. And it's only after the event that you look back at it and you think, nah, do you know what? He put a fantastic squad together. But I have to say, I've took lots. I'd like to think, sat here now talking to you, I've took little ingredients from, from lots of managers, you know, so certainly Stan Turnan, certainly Alan Little, John Ward, this and the other. I mean, you know, I still, me and talking to Jono about it the other day, you know, pre-season training for York City started at the race course and it's Alan Little and you're down in the court, very the corner where you first pull off the road onto the Naismire and you're packed cars up and you're all there and he's got you on the floor, you're doing sit-ups, you're doing press-ups and he could do it better than anyone else, Alan Little and, you know, you're doing running loops of the track and, you know, piggybacks and all these sort of things. And then the most scientific no, did they get us all together and galvanise the squad? Yeah. So, you know, you take those things down, you write loads of stuff, things down, but also you make mental notes. So, you know, I, my time at my time at York was, was one was great. And you, what you need to do is you take the best bits and you discard not so much the worst bits, but the things that probably don't work for you or don't stimulate you. You don't discard them and say, oh, they're rubbish. You just discard them away from you and try and mould and shape yourself around the positive things that, that you can. And I've got plenty from my time at York, no, no question. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that. I mean, it sounds like you do have a lot of affection still for York City. Do you still look out for their results and do you keep in touch with any of the players that you played with from your era? Yeah, no, well, I mean, like I say, Jono is probably the main one. And then it's really, really difficult because it's hard to come if there's people you know because I'm still working in football and Saturdays are difficult so if there was something going on it's it's hard for me to get there but no I look out for their results I did a question and answers with the the London supporters uh, club probably about six seven months ago uh, that was really really good met them in a pub in London and talked and reminiscing similar to like what me and you were doing Dan you know talking about that time and that era and it was good so yeah I mean I, I do have a an affection and, and whatever and with them dropping out the league was was obviously a real sort of bitter blow, really, because now you know everything's been gets pushed down. So you look at you know you look at the national league; it's a graveyard of former you know former sort of league clubs. So it's a tough it's a, it's it's a tough gig at the moment. But I, you know I do wish him well, and obviously you know moving to a new stadium and and all that hopefully might give him some impetus, and you know maybe they can get back into the league. That would be fantastic. How has football changed since your debut for York? You mentioned about agents with shiny pens. My debut for York was. As I walked out the door, John Bird had a bottle of whiskey and everyone had to have a glug of this whiskey. And I said, I'm okay, I'm okay, Gaffer. Like, this is my, I didn't say it out loud, but this is my debut. I'm thinking I just want to focus on playing well and whatever. And he's like, there you go, son. And I was like, I'm right, Gaffer. And he went, no, everyone has to have a glug of whiskey. And so you have a glug of whiskey, then you go out and play, um, play your game. So obviously, listen, people talk about professionalism. It has changed, you no know, diet, sports, science, all those things have progressed. But I wouldn't say that we were a ragtag outfit back at York City. We worked extremely hard. We used to go out and socialise with each other and have a good crack and this and the other. But at the end of the day, we were all committed to playing well and, and doing well for York City. And, and that's that, that bore fruit. But yeah, you, you look at probably the sci- all the sports science that's involved in, in football and all the GPS tracking and training, this and the other. They're all tools. They're all helpful. All the analysis, you know, it has, has progressed it, but it still doesn't get away from what your eye tells you. You know, so if someone's working hard in training, the GPS will tell you that, but your eye will also tell you that as well. 
that there are still old school values that, that are important in football. And then just final question, really, is just what, what your thoughts are on the, the project restart and the Premier League playing behind closed doors. Have you, have you got an opinion on, on how it's going to work? Well, listen, I played one, didn't I? We played against Brighton many, many years ago. Like I say, that was the most surreal game I've ever played in. Because am I right in thinking there was... Was there a threat of relegation for us, or was it? Was it? Yeah, I, th- I think it would have been an obscure sort of turn of events. But yeah, absolutely, York, York City still needed to, to kind of get game. a result. I think. I remember playing that game mid morning. I think it was on a Thursday, or a, I think yeah. it was a Thursday, with no one in the stands thinking this is still a pretty important game. I think they went one 0 up, and then I think we won three one. I think it that's was right. Yeah. So that was surreal. But what I will say is, I mean, speaking to you now, as as I speak to you now, I'm driving down to London tomorrow. We're going to get tested for coronavirus tomorrow and then we're going to be back in training social distancing on Tuesday I want to get back playing I want to get back actually I shouldn't say playing working it's work it's work for me this is this is my job this is what I this is the free choice I had this is what I want to do if I have the opportunity to do it I want to do it so a lot of people are saying about self-interest and teams at the bottom are going to put hurdles and obstacles. Crystal Palace are 11th. We can't win anything. We can't get relegated. But what I can tell you is that we still want to finish the season. We're 29 games into a 38-game season. We've done extremely well. And we want, we want to finish it off. And we want to play. Behind closed doors, neutral venue, I want to play. I'm watching Dortmund play Schalke right now behind closed doors. It's still football. All these hypothetical, what pundits say about what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, it's a proper game of football. It's elite football. I'm watching it now. People have got masks on. There's no one in the stadium. It's still an elite game of football. That's what I want to happen. I'm affected by it. I'm part of society. It's horrendous what's happening. And you see it up and down the country. It's, it's dreadful. It's appalling. We all want to take the measures that, to cut it out and get it out of our society. But in the meantime, you, you called it right. It is what it is. I want to restart. You want to people in a coffee shop they want to restart their job and their what they do you know so yeah i'm positive on it i want it i'd like it to happen if it's right and safe to do so you know thanks for giving it your time dean that's been an absolute pleasure to reminisce over your career thanks a lot no perfect dan i really enjoyed it thanks mate but you enjoyed that dean carly there someone that was really pleased to get on the podcast as he's pretty much responsible for me supporting York City in the first place. Dean was my next door neighbour when I lived in Haxby as a young boy and my dad said, oh, do you want to go see him play? York City beat Wrexham 4-0 in 1992 and Dean saved the penalty and to be honest, pretty much since then I've been hooked. Often wondered whether he maybe didn't live down the street, whether I'd have gone to York City or maybe if I'd have gone and they'd have got beat 2-0 at home or something on a, on a cold winter's night, maybe I wouldn't have been following him from that moment on. But yeah, certainly my start to watching York City was was pretty much down to the performance of, of Dean and the team and most of that team that he played with I would say six or seven of them would make my all-time 11 so you know it was quite poignant for me to get Dean on the podcast anyway it's enough about me it's more about the York City players and we've got more of them coming up again if you uh, feel like sponsoring an episode or, or donating then uh, please do get in touch for donation pages justgiving.com forward slash your hospital radio Until next time, keep listening, thank you.